Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today, we're going to talk some NFL draft. Yes, the draft, 2018 NFL draft coming up on Thursday, first day. So we're going to talk about all of that today, some of the USC prospects that are moving on to the next level. If you have any questions or comments for the show, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address, or you can call or text. The number is 424 424- Two five four nine one four one. That's four two four two five four nine one four one. Call or text that number, and we would love to get your question, read it here on the air, or play your voicemail on the air and answer it to the best of our abilities. All right, and we said we're going to talk about the NFL draft today. So I got my buddy coming on. Uh, really excited for this, John Middlecoff. So check him out. You can follow him on Twitter at John Middlecoff. M I D D L E K A U. FF. He's a former NFL scout. He's also uh, working with The Athletic now up in San Francisco. And he's part of the Colin Cowherd Podcast Network. So you can check out his show, Three and Out. Um, uh, it's a podcast, so uh, talking about the NFL stuff. So we're welcoming uh, John in to talk about some of the USC prospects here in the NFL draft. What's up, John? How you doing, man? I, I thought you were bringing me in to break down the spring games. No. <laughs> Did you go, <laughs> man? Are you, or do you watch on the, on the uh, Pac-12 Network? <laughs> yeah, I, I host I host a podcast with uh, another podcast with Guy Haberman, and he he called the Oregon one on Saturday with Ryan Leaf, and I was watching a little bit of that UCLA. UCLA was tossing players out of the game. I saw that. I that? Did, yeah, I taped the I taped it. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I saw on Twitter that there was a targeting, and they tossed somebody out. Is that it's actually a pretty genius uh, thing to do in a, you know in practice, right? Just to get used to it because. I know you obviously go all that watching SC really closely. Every, every time it happens, one of these Saturday games, you just you freak out. But it happens basically. Feels like every game, you know. So you got You got to change your style. Nice. So you're working with Guy Haberman on that uh, podcast. So you get so you get a lot of Pac-12 stuff because he does a lot. You know, he's on the uh, the Sirius XM morning show. I think I did his show once with him and uh, Ryan Leaf. Yeah. So we uh, he's been doing that for a couple of years. So we'll. Uh, we never stray too far away from, uh, you know, the Pac-12 and the West Coast. We we try to, uh, I mean, you know, the, the fervor for, you're lucky you cover SC, so that's treated like an SEC team. But a lot of the other, I mean, the two programs up in the Bay Area. I mean, Ryan, 40 minutes away, 30 minutes away from me, I, I have Stanford University that's been in basically the top 10 every year for the last six years. And they, they struggle to get 20,000 people to the game. I mean, <laughs> Can, can you imagine if the equivalent was if SC football had been on their run or Texas or Ohio State? I mean, every year, top 10, you know, producing tons of dudes in the draft. They can't get a soul. It's crazy. Yeah, I went to the Pac-12 championship game, which you could have walked from, you know, from Palo Alto or whatever. And there was way more USC people there than there were Stanford people. But I, it's, a, it's a unique, that's a unique place. I mean, you got two unique universities near you, Berkeley and Stanford. I mean, it doesn't get much more kind of away from, you know, away from the norm than those two schools. And, and really Cal, 
I, I grew up in, in Davis, and my grandpa taught at Berkeley, so my dad was a big Cal fan, even though he was a UC Davis guy. And we used to go to Memorial Stadium basically all growing up. Because actually, when, when they're solid, it's 10 times better atmosphere of you know. Yeah. When that place is rocking, it's way better at Stanford. Like, it's a legitimate, even though it's a, kind of a weird Berkeley, say whatever you want. When the teams are good, especially with the football team, that place is a legitimate home field advantage. Yeah. I love the new stadium. And uh, uh, UC Davis, man, I, I played like in a volleyball tournament up there when I was in college. The, the grad, that's a great bar. Oh, it, it, it is. It, you know, it's still going strong. <laughs> is it? Good. Good. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think I ruined one of my my one of my play days when I I, I spent a little too much time with the grad the day before the tournament or something. So. You wouldn't be the first, and you won't be the last. Well, so John, so people don't know, John and I go back. Well, we go back a few years, right? We met. Did we meet at like uh, Mountain West Media Days through like Bruce Feldman or something? Is that is that how it was? Yeah, I I think so. I had been following you on Twitter, and you were covering. Uh, you were obviously doing SC, but you were also covering Deruder and Fresno State. Yeah. Um, so I did a couple okay. years of doing yeah. that. And then, so I went to the, they were in Vegas, which is cool. Uh, I love the Mountain West media yeah, well, days better <laughs> than Pac-12, you know? I agree. <laughs> you, you picked a, you picked a good time too. I mean, Derek and Druder, they were winning Mountain West championships and Devonte Adams. They, I mean, they got two superstar NFL players. Yeah. That's uh, that was, that was some fun times and they had a really good atmosphere too. Like my wife, I brought her to a game. It was like a blackout game, and she said it, that was the. She's a Tennessee grad, and she said that was the most SEC like she felt like. You know, it's like forty thousand or whatever it was. It wasn't huge, but it was packed and it was rocking. And when that team's good, that area totally gets uh -huh. into it. Uh, I mean, some some of those the heyday of the Pat. I, I was a graduate assistant for Pat Hill for a couple of years before I got in the NFL, and it was after obviously the SC game. I guess would have been '05 when he, they took Pat or. That team, you know, that ended up losing that championship down to the wire. But that game, uh, people still talk about that game around in the five five nine at Fresno State. And I, I know Pat Coach Hill never quite got over that that loss. But still, my my cousin was actually the long snapper on that team. Oh wow! Uh, so it's it's still he he actually has a picture in his house of he's kind of on you know on that punt return. I, I I think Reggie stepped out of bounds, but Reggie cut it back. And he's right there. I mean, he had no, he wouldn't even have been able to get within five feet of him, even though he was like two <laughs> inches away from him. <laughs> you know, it was just, that, that team was that, that was one of the better games, wouldn't you say, of that that SC run, that Fresno State night game? I mean, oh, it was incredible. Yeah, it was great. And it's funny right now the uh, the opening arguments actually right as we're recording uh, going on in the Todd McNair versus NCAA trial. So we have uh, our Dan Weber and Keely Yor down there at the trial. They'll be putting up a bunch of content on USCFootball.com. But a lot of that Reggie Bush stuff is coming back because of this because of this trial. So people are talking about that game. Is he, is, is he going to win? Like, is he going to get a lot of money out of it? Yeah, everything he I've heard is it's just like, yeah, the, the NCAA tried to um, throw it out, delay, whatever they could do. But it's finally come to roost. And uh, what I was hearing is like, Ten million dollars plus. He's gonna he's gonna make money. Wow. So we'll is, see. Is he so he's not in obviously coaching right now? Then is he? He hasn't coached since then. So like that's a lot of what the uh, the issue is is they basically blackballed him. I mean, all those emails and everything where they basically were trying to railroad him and make sure that he was guilty. You know, but yeah, it's all this crappy stuff that that came out, and I don't think they'll ever allow email communication like they did back then, but they got them all. And the judge was like, this is ridiculous, yeah. you know? So I, I don't think it's going to actually make USC look all that good because 
they didn't really fight it all that much, and McNair did, and I think he's I think he's going to win, but we'll see what happens. It's been a long time coming, so I'm excited for this next couple of weeks of the trial. Yeah, but. I mean, that, that, that's ter- I mean, they basically ruined his career and his life. Yeah, you know, and especially in a running back coaches, if you ever become an offensive coordinator, like you said, it's it's pretty easy. You, you just say the word ten million sounds like a lot, but these guys. I know I had a buddy coaching uh, in the SEC that was coaching running backs. He's making like four hundred and fifty grand. So if you do that for five years, I mean, you accumulate a lot of money. Yeah, that's true. And then you know, if you if you do well, you could become an offensive coordinator, and who knows, a head coach. And, and, and that's that's seven figures exactly. Yeah. Crazy. Well, like so, we're like digressing here, but um, so I mean, that's all good stuff. But we, you know, we wanted to get you on because uh, if you follow, so follow John on Twitter, you can see a lot of the t- takes he has on the NFL draft, and there's just a whole lot of thought and analysis going on in there. And I thought it would be great to bring you on and kind of talk about uh, the very top of the draft with Sam Darnold and get your thoughts on how you think the first, you know, 10 picks or something would go. But then also some of the other USC prospects that are, you know, projected to get drafted uh, and get your thoughts on on them. But I guess we can start off with, uh, you know, Sam Darnold. Do you, people have been asking me a lot. I think I was really on top of it up until like USC's pro day. And I took that picture of Jimmy Haslam and uh, Sam Darnold's parents, and it like went all, all over the place. Um, seemed pretty likely he was going to the Browns then. Has anything changed in the last few weeks since that happened? You went viral on that picture. Yeah, <laughs> it was Especially crazy. In Cleveland, that that was a great shot. And I thought after that day, it, I, I thought Sam was a little lucky in the sense that you know the weather out here; it's just not that bad. Yeah, and you're you're playing. You got the Cleveland brass, who the weather in Cleveland sucks, and you get a rainy day. That's that's pretty ideal. I, I don't think you could ask for much better. And some of the stories that came out about they wanted to move the pro day or get it inside. Fans like no, do it outside. And then after that day, when he was just slinging it around, it felt like he was a lock. Now you know the way this draft process goes, covering a bunch of prospects over the years. Things just. The craziest part about this process is you get so much information, yet it gets every day gets farther away to the last time they actually played a real a meaningful game. Yeah. And at the end of the day, playing in pads is all that matters, not necessarily what you do in a pro day or a combine. But I think as we've gone, Josh Allen, because he throws the ball 500 miles an hour and he's, he's enormous and his ceiling is so high, and like Sam, clearly a really high character guy. Uh, really, really smart from everything that I've heard in these meetings. I think it's kind of, not necessarily risen because he was already a hyped prospect, but I, I kind of expect him Thursday to go number one to Cleveland, which wow. is crazy because a, a, after that pro day, I thought it was a borderline lock, and I, I just don't feel that way anymore. That's great. So would, do you think Cleveland will go crazy? Like the Cleveland fans are like, oh, this is totally Cleveland it again. Um That'd yeah, be- I, mean, I, I think they'll get. I think they'll get crushed. I mean, you, you. We've all seen the numbers. He's inaccurate. Played at a small school. It's not like he even went to that small school out of high school. He had to go this crazy route to Reedley College. He was never accurate in junior college. Wasn't accurate in high school. I, I in theory, though, I, I get it. Right, the measurables, the the talent. But I don't think we've ever seen. Even if he doesn't go one, let's say Darnold goes one, and he ends up going like three to the Jets or. You know, someone trades up to four. Like, Darnold is a legitimate high-level prospect. Played at SC, had a lot of success, won some big games, had some struggles, battled back, physically has all the tools, really young. Where Allen, there's just this massive hole. He's inaccurate, and he didn't really win at a smaller program. 
And when he played the big boys, he looked terrible. So if he were to go number one, again, my gut feeling right now, I don't, I don't know if it's right. I think he goes number one. I, I think it's one of the craziest number one overall draft picks we've seen in the history of the NFL. It may be in the history, like baseball, we never really know the prospect in the NFL or the NBA. It's just, it's, it's nuts. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So how does this, like, it's, it's kind of confusing how this works where you're right. They haven't played for a while. Their pro days, like basically the last time you saw them do anything athletic, most people thought Darnold was going to go one. Does somebody change their mind? Like, cause they haven't really got new information really since that's happened. How does that change? And then is a lot of it just um, misinformation that the front offices are trying to put out there? Oh, we're really not high on this guy. And uh, guys like you that talk to these people, I'm sure you get lied to all but the time. I, <laughs> yeah. But see, you know what? And I tell people like, I, I'm not necessarily like Peter King where I'm writing these big stories on talking to decision makers. I mean, I, I talked to a couple GMs, but the majority of guys I talk to, you know, are maybe younger, you know, regional scouts or even college directors that aren't decision makers. So they just give me their legitimate take on a guy because at the end of the day, they're not in charge of him or not. And I, one thing I think that happens, and you remember a couple years ago when the Eagles were deciding between Goff and Wentz, they, you know, the owner, they went on this big deal and the owner and the head coach and the GM, they took them out to dinner and they spent a lot of time with them. A lot of time after the pro days, and Allen's pro day was because wasn't Sam's on like a Tuesday or Wednesday and Allen's was like Friday. Yeah, I think so. And, and so at the pro day, you maybe go to dinner with him the night before. And then in the upcoming additional weeks, you know, before this Thursday, you've brought him into your facility and typically maybe not with a non quarterback, like a, let's say Ronald Jones, but with a quarterback, you definitely, your owner and your head coach, your GM are probably taking him out to dinner. So you just end up spending a lot of time with them. And I, obviously that, that's the one thing with the quarterback position more than any other position that all the intangible stuff really matters. So that, that can sway someone. And I think when it was relatively close, if you meet Sam and Josh and you were on the fence and you go, well, they're both high character, really smart, you know, we have no issues with them off the field, how they'll be from a working standpoint and from a mental standpoint, we're just going to take the guy with the higher ceiling that I could see that's how maybe Jimmy Haslam, John Dorsey and everyone in Cleveland kind of can talk themselves in to away from Sam Darnold. It's just because there's other guy, and I'm pretty sure I've heard Jordan Palmer talk about this. Sam and Josh worked out together, right, this whole time, and they've become pretty close. Seems like they're very similar people. Yeah, um, that's that's very interesting. I know Sam. Sam's a little more SoCal, you know, SoCal yeah. surfer, but Josh is from not that far away from the Central Valley, and it seems like they get along really well. So that's where the other two guys, like clearly. You know, you, you've been around and definitely been in the same city as Rosen forever. The vibe around Rosen and then kind of Baker, too, are completely different than the vibe around Sam and Josh. Yeah. Right. Just the cocky, arrogant, which, again, everyone is cocky and arrogant when they're playing, when they think they can win. But there is like you can't be cocky and arrogant 24 like, seven. Yeah. They, they don't want to hear about I don't need to chip on your shoulder when we're just sitting down to have lunch before practice. Yeah. Right. And that's where I think. I, I was just clicking on behind Baker. It's like this series that follows Baker around. And it's, he's just got this huge edge to him, which again is a good thing, 
but he, it's just hard to wear that with you 24 seven, you know, it wears on other people. Yeah. And I, I think when you see like the Brady's, the Manning's, Drew Brees's, they, they don't carry that every second of every day that they do at practice, right. And in games, but you have to be able to balance it because you'll turn people off. And I, I think that's the biggest thing that Sam and Josh have going for them beside obviously their physical abilities is their just ability as people to get, feels like they're just very normal. And that's, normal in a in a quarterback way just they can relate to everyone you know sam's didn't sam live with the middle linebacker and they have for a long time yeah. like that's to me that that such stuff is, is really important now in fairness to baker i i know some people at oklahoma they swear by him as a teammate and then you know you hear different things about rosen for sure yeah uh we'll get into the rosen in a minute but I, so if your gut is right john um where does sam go if he's not going to cleveland well, I read this morning that I, I think Dan Patrick said on his show this morning that he had heard that the ownership wants to take Saquon Barkley with the New York Giants uh, for whatever reason. They feel scorned by the way they screwed Eli last year out of his starting streak. Obviously, they feel really connected to him over the Super Bowls. I don't know why. I mean, 37 years old, he hasn't played well in a couple of years. That They want to keep going with him. And that the front office wants to take, if Sam Darnold is there, take Sam Darnold. Uh, ultimately, it's the, the one thing unique about the New York Giants is it, their ownership. It's not like Stan Kroenke where he just, you do, the GM and head coach gets to do whatever they want. It's Chris Mara, which I think is John Mara's brother, plays a big role in the scouting department. He's like the assistant GM. So if you're the assistant GM, but you're also the owner, you're basically the GM. Yeah. So if he wants to do something, <laughs> if the ownership wants Saquon Barkley, I, I don't see, even if the front office is screaming for Sam Darnold, it doesn't feel like a 100% lock. So I would be surprised if all of a sudden Allen goes one and you're going to take a running back in, in a draft where you can get good running backs in the second round over Sam Darnold. Seems crazy. But the Giants do some weird stuff sometimes, so I, I, I wouldn't be totally shocked, and that would leave – what would the Jets do? I mean, I, I basically, in every mock draft I've ever done, I just chalk up Rosen to them. But I, I would take Sam Donald if I was them just because he has a higher ceiling. So I, I, I'd be shocked if Sam Donald made it past three. But we've seen before. I mean, it just it, – once you skip a couple teams, you can just kind of free fall, you know. And when I say free fall for Donald – if he were to free fall to like five, wouldn't that feel like a free fall? Yeah, completely. For a guy that felt like he was going number one the entire, basically since he declared. Yeah, it's not like an Aaron Rodgers free fall, but it would be, you know. Yeah, see that that that's impossible here because he would never make it past like the Bills or Cardinals. Like he would never make it past like fourteen. But if, if somehow Sam Darnold was there at like number nine when the Niners were picking, and obviously they would trade back or something, that would be. That would be wild. Yeah. I mean, I, I just can't. I can't see that happening. To me, his floor, I guess, yeah, his floor, the farthest he could fall to me would be five to Elway. I just can't see him going past five. And even Elway, maybe if Elway didn't want him, he would definitely trade the pick to someone who did want him. Uh, but anything past, I would say three would feel a little crazy for a guy that that would mean the Giants pass on him. That would mean the Browns pass on him. Obviously, the Browns have a second pick at four. You're not going to take two quarterbacks, and the, and the Jets pass on them. So the uh, the I just got an email, like some latest odds. Uh, so Sam Darnold still the overwhelming favorite at five to tw uh, five to twelve, but Allen's not that far behind, eight to five odds. So he's pretty good odds to go 
uh, number one uh, still. So, I mean, that, would, that wouldn't be too big of a shock, I guess. I think Barkley is the, the two-to-one favorite to go second. And Josh Rosen, a 75 favorite to go uh, third. But you, you think kind of Josh Rosen's probably going to go third almost no matter what? If, if, I, if I had to guess right now, I'd go Allen one, Darnold two, Rosen three. And then I, I'm doing a mock draft. I don't know when you're posting this, but it'll be out Tuesday. And I, I think what ends up happening, <clears throat> if the quarterbacks go one, two, three, and I read this morning that the, the Jets are basically, they feel confident that Rosen and Mayfield are going to be there. They, they like both. So it, it could be either or. Yeah. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, they pulled the trigger on Rosen. And that would mean, obviously, three quarterbacks going one, two, three. Those teams that really need quarterbacks, I mean, they could offer Cleveland a lot, right? You know, a second-round pick and maybe next year's one to get that number four spot. And Cleveland's not a player away. Uh, you know, if Miami or Arizona – or even if Denver wanted to come up one spot and make sure they got their guy. Uh, so I, I think there's these chance the quarterbacks go one through four, just one, two, three, four. Wow. Um, are you like your part? So your podcast is part of Colin Cowherd's uh, podcast network. And we've had Colin on the show, you know, pretty good friends with him and, you know, watch his show a lot. He's definitely not that high on a Baker Mayfield. Who's, you know, one of those chip on the shoulder kind of guys. What are your thoughts on, on him as a, a pro prospect? <clears throat> yeah. I, the one thing I, and I disagree with Colin on this one is just Baker as a player. I, I think he's better than he's given him credit for. And I know Colin, I think it's Colin's talked to some people in the league. He's come around because you can't, you're not going to talk to many people in the league that doesn't think Baker can play. That's the one thing like Baker is a legitimate NFL prospect, just inside the pocket, making throws. It's pure tape just inside the pockets making consistent accurate throws and not turning the ball over is probably better than Darnold. Now Sam does some more like just a bigger, stronger athlete. So can just make some plays of like breaking tackles and doing some crazy stuff. But Baker, just his tape, especially this year was just incredible. I mean, went to Ohio state and you saw how good that Ohio state defense is. They, yeah. They're awesome. And he lit them up like a Christmas tree. And I, I do think anytime you get arrested, if you're a quarterback, that's a legitimate red flag. And he did get arrested. I mean, he got tackled by the police. So that, to me, I have no problem saying that's a red flag. I just know this. I know I'm very close to someone in Oklahoma, and he swears by the guy. And this is someone that's been around a lot of NFL players. And I, for whatever reason, that I, I've been turned off a little in some of the videos I've seen. Just like, Baker, you got to kind of just – you don't need to carry this huge chip on your shoulder everywhere you go. I don't think he acted like that around Lincoln Riley, around his teammates, you know, during the day, right? During game day, for sure. But I think he was much more himself. So I think the guy we've seen over these last couple months, you know, being – and definitely the NFL teams have seen. I've heard stories that he just comes off so cocky. And, again, that's not a bad thing. Your NFL quarterback's going to be cocky. But there's a, there's a balance to it. I think he's turned off a lot of people. Where even Rosen is more like – He's just more of a millennial in terms of he's just, you know, badgering you with questions because he's so smart. And his arrogance to me is a little different than Baker's. Uh, I, I would say, like, I do think, Colin, there's some validity to it. He's not just a for sure going to be a great player in the NFL, but I would be more inclined to bet Baker Mayfield is solid than, than definitely Colin's take. I think he's going to be a – like what Case Keenum was this year for the, the Vikings, which was a really good starter. Now, obviously, his team was really good. I, I think Baker can be a better version than that for sure. Yeah. 
People ask me too, like when I got a lot of Cleveland stations and stuff calling me, asking me about Darnold before. Um, they'd ask about Rosen too. I've always, I mean, he looks more like an NFL, like kind of prototypical quarterback to me. Darnold's got that off script stuff where he can just improvise and people love that. But I think both those guys are going to be really good. Do you have an inkling which one is going to end up having a better NFL career, Rosen or Darnold? Well, if you said you got to put, let's say, $1,000 on one of them, I would put it on Darnold just because I don't think he can fail. Yeah, he might not be a great player, but, you know, I, I, how would he not turn into kind of Alex Smith? You know, just he's a really good athlete. He's got a good enough arm. He's high care. I, I just can't see him failing. Where I can see Rosen failing just because battled injuries. To me, his durability is a legitimate question. He has yeah. battled injuries. He's been knocked out of multiple seasons in a conference. I mean, listen, I'm, I know you are too. I love the Pac-12, but it's not, it's not the SEC, right? Yeah. So he, he couldn't make it through either season. Now, there are other variables. Team sucked. His coach was not very good. His offensive personnel was not great around him. So you can counter-argument, argue everything. But just on tape, like you said, you just watch that USC-UCLA game, like this year, it ain't even close. Like Rosen's a superior passer. He just looks more of a natural inside-the-pocket guy, which anyone in the league will tell you is more important than the ad-lib stuff because the ad-lib stuff is really just a small percentage of what's going to happen throughout a game. You have to just be able to make consistent plays in the pocket. That's where Rosen kind of shines. Yeah. And just on tape, to me, he's the best quarterback on purely on tape. Uh, but the durability thing, I, I really have big questions with. Like, to me, his personality stuff doesn't bother me that like it's He's not, I don't think he's going to fail because of that stuff. If he, if you tell me Rosen does not make in the NFL, it's because he can't stay on the field. If he's on the field and he has just a functional coach and personnel around him, I, I don't <laughs> see how he's not good. He was really good this year. His, his defense, I, I mean, you've been watching UCLA your whole, how bad was his defense? Oh, so bad. I mean, they were, they, they were a joke. <laughs> he, I thought, I thought he was, I thought he for most of the year, and I know he made some. He made a couple key picks in that Memphis game, but but they, they wouldn't have even been in that game without him. Yeah. He was awesome for the majority of it, and that defense was just a. It was an abomination. I mean, they they couldn't stop anyone. Yeah, the the A and M comeback was obviously, I mean, incredible. Like it shows what you know. He he's a guy that loves football. He's just smart. I don't I don't knock him for the personality stuff, but I you know if you look at him, I think he's like fifteen pounds lighter than Darnold, right? So there's. I don't know if that's something he can address and put some more weight on or something, maybe help with the durability. Yeah, and I think as he uh, you know, gets into a pro system where that's all he's doing, eating the right foods, I mean, he just turned 21. Like Sam just turned, yeah, he's 20. I mean, these guys are so young, or maybe it's Darnold 21 now. Both these guys, I mean, they are going to look dramatically different when they're 25 than when they did. Yeah. You know, right now. Yeah, I mean, you were you saw Derek Carr when he was in college. I mean, you should see him now. He yeah. looks like he's huge. <laughs> you know, he just you just you just lift and you eat better foods and you're not going to you know econ class. It's just much more focused. All you're focused on is everything involved in playing your body, staying in shape, practicing. It's just it's your only priority. Now, I think that's also a question mark. Is that a bad thing that we don't know if that's going to be Rosen's only priority? That, that's the you know that's the legitimate question in the NFL, fair or not? All right, well, that's a lot of quarterback talk. So let's uh, we'll go through the uh, some of the other USC 
prospects, probably the, the first guy after Donald off the board would be uh, Ronald Jones. Um, you know, got, he ended up at the NFL Combine injuring his hamstring. So I think he had a four, six, six or something like that on, on his uh, 40 time there because he kind of came up halfway through. Uh, ran again at the pro day, but just wasn't uh, wasn't. I forget what it was. It was like a four five. I, I thought it was like four four five at the pro. You know, yeah, four, it was four, something eight. okay. I don't. Sorry, I don't have it on the top of my head, but it was it was all right. But it wasn't like he's a speed guy, so you would ex- you know, expect something maybe a little bit better. Didn't show really good hands, in my opinion. I was down there at live at his uh, second pro day, which kind of questionable. I'm not sure why he would do. You know, that's not his strength. I would say. Um, did did did, Dar- did Darnold throw at that pro day? He did. So so at the so it was at the USC pro day. Um, Jones didn't run, but he caught balls, and it just wasn't that great. Then he had a se- a separate no, pro day with Deontay Burnett. Yeah. And Sam Darnold was actually visiting Cleveland, flew back early to just throw to Ronald Jones, and um, wasn't it wasn't that good. He, he still had some drop problems and stuff there, but I don't I don't think it helped him all that much. What are your overall thoughts uh, on Ronald Jones, and has the you know the injury maybe hurt him during this you know time from the the season till the draft? See, I, I don't think it has because it pays to be for itself. He can fly. I, I think you just watch him when he's healthy on tape. He's like a high four three guy. He's a blazer, but he's a good running back. To me, the question is with that type player, and I think a lot of the comp and my, my natural comp always before I really, you really dive in studying the guy, you're like, oh, Jamal Charles type player. Yeah. Well, part of Jamal Charles type playing is being really good out of the backfield catching the football. You know, we talk so much about Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley might be the best pass receiver, not just as a running back, but as a receiver in this draft. And anyone that watches the NFL, probably it's more than college because in college, so many teams spread it out. They throw it to so many receivers. Where in the NFL, it's still two or three wide receiver sets mainly besides your tight end, but your running back catches a ton of balls. Like you look around the NFL, a lot of teams have a running back catching 50, 60 plus balls. I mean, I think Christian McCaffrey caught like 80 balls last year. Wow. You know, I mean, that, <laughs> that new hybrid running back catches a ton of footballs. And Ronald Jones, I, that's why I thought Jamal Charles. But then I remember sitting in my office watching the pro day in the rain and Mayock's like, oh, that's a bad drop. You know, hit him right in the hand. And then you look, I just pulled up the stats, 32 career catches. And you just look at the stats, you go, well, maybe they didn't throw him the ball that much. But then, like you said, the second pro day, still not catching the ball. Maybe they didn't throw it to him because they don't think he can catch. Yeah. Which, to me, is a pretty big problem because in a perfect world, Ronald Jones, you know, is like your second running back that's your third down back and can be your spot starter, like, as a rookie. But you can't be a third down back if you can't catch. So, to me, more than just his crappy 40 time, which you could just chalk up with a hammy, it's can he catch the football? You know, that, that's to me what every team's asking themselves. And I would say most teams are going to walk away right now and say, that is not his strength. Then you have to ask yourself, well, can he improve at it or does he just have terrible hands? And that's, I don't know enough about him to just say he has terrible hands, but most times when guys are bad at catching the football, it doesn't just improve, right, in the pros. <laughs> I mean, it's usually one of those things that carries over. So I, I, that's a pretty big red flag for a guy that I thought. At, you know, when the season ended, I was like, oh, this guy might be a fringe first rounder. I, he's not going to the first round when you can't catch. Yeah. So, yeah, you think it's probably hurt him. I, I, I don't know why when you're injured you would try to do it because it's really not his strength. I think maybe he wanted to show that he could catch the football. And I think he got better. Like, he started off pretty bad at USC, but I think he got better and they trusted him a little bit more 
as his career went on, but it didn't really go well in either pro day catching the football. So I, I just think that maybe doing that I, didn't really see, help him. See, see, to me, at the, at the pro day, people are more there to watch him catch the ball than to run. Like, they, they know he's fast. I mean, his tape speaks for itself. He has years of tape flying down the field. It, to me, it's more just about in this modern day, in 2018, a guy like him has to be able to catch it. And if, I think a lot of teams are just going to have him down as yes, crappy hands. That's not a good thing for him. Because he's not, you know, you're like the guy, kid at San Diego State or Royce Freeman, you know, your bigger, just true, you know, first down running back. He can do that, obviously, but I think teams would love him to be that hybrid catching the football out of the backfield guy. And yeah. That's not what he is. The, uh, the next guy likely drafted, I would guess, would be Uchenna Nwusu, the outside linebacker. Um, I think I was at the pro day and there was there was a lot of talk about the Chargers, apparently, maybe like a second round sort of pick. Um they I think they were interested in him. But um what what are your thoughts on Uchenna and Wusu? I mean, he worked out really well. I mean, anytime you run a four six five, that's not gonna, you know, hurt your cause, especially at two fifty. I, I think versatility, you know, is he is he a true outside edge rusher? Is he a guy that can do, you know, play some inside stack? I think he's a guy that teams are just going to work with. I'd be a little shocked if he goes in the second round. To me, a little more of a project, probably closer to the third round, maybe okay. even fourth. Uh, especially because if teams look at him like a true outside linebacker and like a 3-4 pass rushing outside linebacker, then which I would imagine most teams are going to look at him, that's only a percentage. You know, that's not every team that runs that defense. So – you know, a lot of times with four three teams, if they're projecting you to kind of be like, a, you know, a middle linebacker or a stack linebacker, you know, your instincts come into play a little more and teams question it and they just, they can't afford if you are, you know, a quote unquote project in their mind, to move, they move you down a little bit. If, if I had to guess right now, like middle of the third round at, at the latest fourth round. Okay. Um, the fact that he batted so many balls down at the line of scrimmage, does that? Yeah, that, that, that helps. That helps for sure. Okay. Yeah, he just seems to have like kind of a knack for – he was leading the country at, at one point last year in like passes defended as a linebacker. <laughs> it was kind of crazy, you know. Like you don't see that very often. Well, anytime that you're 6'3", six, six, 250, you have long arms, which he has, and you put up the numbers in terms of – you run a four six five, and he jumped over thirty two inches. Like teams love that stuff. The uh, the next guy, kind of interesting. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about Rasheem Green, the defensive lineman. You don't get on the West Coast like in the SEC. You can recruit, you know, the two hundred eighty pound, really athletic defensive lineman or three hundred pound guys. They kind of grow on trees. There is more more than here. A lot of times it in the on the West Coast you're getting like the 240 pound guy and they develop into he's 275 and, and a good, great edge rusher or whatever. Rasheem Green was that guy coming out of high school, so one of those rare dudes uh, from Sarah. Really quiet. It doesn't seem to have like the temperament of a you know crazy defensive lineman. What are your thoughts? Was on he a big Rasheem time? Green? Was he a was he a big time high school recruit? He was. Yeah, he certainly was. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's hard, like you said, it's hard to find a guy six five, two seventy. That ran, he ran a four seven three, so just that alone, like you just put that on a magnet up on a board before <laughs> I even throw on the film. I, I know I got a guy, and I, you know, I've read and talked to people different second, third round, 
typically those guys don't far, fall far just because there aren't that many humans in the draft that like <laughs> once once you get a big guy that after the fourth round usually they're a bad athlete uh, or they have like character issues but if you're a good athlete and you're that big even if you're quote unquote somewhat of a project because he, he was an early entry right he could have gone back to school yeah he could have uh-huh. that you know some people like he should go back to school you know maybe because he could have go back to school have a big time year and be a first rounder but like you said if his temperament is somewhat of a question mark he doesn't always play hard that you, 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 I don't think you fall back to the second round just because defensive line coaches head coaches and general managers fall in love with the size fall in love with the potential uh he just I mean he's huge <laughs> he's tip and you see these guys a lot in the SEC even underachievers I remember the Raiders a couple years ago this guy was the number one overall recruit, Mario Edwards Jr., and kind of didn't live up to the hype at Florida State, and still went early in the second round. Huh. You know, just because when you're that when you're that big and that athletic, you just I, I mean, I bet this guy goes in the top sixty picks. Yeah, it's a, I wouldn't say like I think he's a hard worker, and it came out recently that he played like his shoulder injury was uh, pretty bad. He had to play with all year, so I think he's a tougher. You know, he's a tough kid. But he's just not this. He doesn't have this personality where he's really quiet and shy, you know. And I don't know if you shy away from that if you're like you want your defensive lineman to be like Warren Sapp or something. I think sometimes you do, but the reality is, is not everyone is just this crazy player. <laughs> so you just you just have to deal with what you have, you know. And a lot of defensive linemen and offensive linemen for that. Uh, this argument are, aren't necessarily just your badass road grader ass kicker. You know, some guys are just kind of laid back. Now, a lot of teams shy away from that because they feel that when you take that guy and you get enamored with the size and the guy's not maybe wired the right way in what you'd, you know, ideally pick for them, that's where you kind of get a bust. And, you know, this guy, if he, if he fails, entered early, kind of somewhat of an underachiever, Typically, those guys like his bust potential. And I don't. I mean, bust potential. I don't think most people think this guy's going to be a superstar. But if you tell me he's out of the league in three or four years, it's not that. You know, you the writing was a little bit on the wall. Gotcha. Um, this one's kind of interesting. Uh, Deontay Burnett had a you know breakout game in the Rose Bowl with three touchdowns and uh, you know really effective pass catcher for for Sam Darnold. Um, not a big guy. Another Sarah High School kid. Uh, who was originally always committed. made plays though? I'm sorry. Always made plays. Well, yeah, he always, always made plays. I mean, you couldn't watch an SC game without number eighty, right? Just yeah. Made plays. So the for him, he ends up getting a hamstring injury as well, and and he also was at the Ronald Jones Pro Day. Um, what were your thoughts? Any kind of thoughts on him? We we got to see him catch some balls at least at the second Pro Day, but he didn't do anything at the Combine or USC's Pro Day. He was a co- he went to the combine though, right? Yeah, he was invited, but he didn't uh, he didn't participate. Yeah, I mean, like a, a guy like him again, like the tape kind of speaks for itself. People know that he can run. People know that he can get open. You know, I, I would say just from watching him on television, I would think you know later round, like sixth, seventh round draft pick. But I, I I'd be shocked if unless his injury is really serious and people don't think it's going to get better, which typically something minor like that where you just can't run isn't that big a deal. Uh, I, I bet he's a late round draft pick. And, and the one thing with receivers sometimes is receivers that go to the combine don't always get drafted just because there's so many receivers in the draft 
and there's so many other positions that you try to get. So, you know, it wouldn't totally shock me if he was like an undrafted free agent. Then all of a sudden you look, you're like, damn, you know, Burnett made the team for the Cincinnati Bengals as an undrafted free agent. Sometimes that's even better than, you know, being a late round draft pick. Sometimes the team drafts you with, they got seven receivers on their team. Whereas an undrafted free agent, you can pick the squad. So to me, he's one of those guys that you're kind of keeping an eye on toward the, toward the end of the draft and as an undrafted free agent. Um, another receiver, uh, Stephen Mitchell, he was also invited to the Combine. Um, had a couple knee injuries earlier in his career. Seemed to get that some of that uh, juice back. I think he ran pretty well. Any thoughts on him? No, no thoughts. Okay. <laughs> <You're>, yeah, <laughs> he's just not a guy that we've seen a whole lot of as far as like people – um, I, I I would say this though, because USC players just in general. Uh, who was the wide receiver? Remember the guy that was always banged up, like Marquise Lee's, <clears throat> like in that group of guys, Robert Woods, and just could never stay healthy. And th- didn't the Cowboys draft him? George Farmer is that late? George yeah, Farmer, or they brought as an undrafted free agent. Like USC guys get a shot just because they're always same with Ohio State and, and Florida State or just any of the big programs because typically you're a bigger recruit so i mean that stuff matters in these draft meetings when people say you know he's a four or five star he was expected to be a player and they just those guys get a shot and that's you know sometimes all you all you can ask for yeah there's some other like like uh viani talmaival or a nico fala a couple offensive linemen josh fatu's uh Defensive lineman or chris hawkins chris hawkins is kind of interesting he wasn't invited to the combine thought maybe he could be he was a pretty productive player at USC. I don't know if you saw much film of him or any of those other guys. Yeah, I mean, I, the example like last year, I, I didn't think Zach Banner was very good. But what what round did he, did he go like fourth round? Fourth round, yeah. You know, I mean, SC guys just they get some luck. You know, when when it comes, they they get the be- especially the benefit of the doubt because they're usually high recruits, and even if they've just played for a while, that means they beat out other good players. So if you play them now, this is. You probably tested this. I mean, what would you say? Last year, of the last 15 years, just talent top to bottom. It's not one of the better USC teams. Right. You know? But but still, I mean, it's still better than majority of the teams out West, right? So all, if you're playing for SC, that means you'd be playing for majority of the other Pac-12 teams. Yeah. So they, they, they just – they usually – and they, they have a long history of guys that just play in the league. Maybe – I know there's a history of some of those Pete Carroll years – for guys maybe underachieve, like some of the receivers or whatever. But I think it feels like over the Lane and Sark years, a lot of those guys just stuck around. Even the guys that underachieved at first, like Robert Woods, who I love. Uh, I'm glad to see he's kind of resurrected his career. Yeah. A lot of those guys were really good players. Yeah, we'll see. And it's funny, the uh, there's all the talk about USC quarterbacks. It's like, you know, they, they have a lot of guys <clears throat> getting paychecks. There's not like superstar USC quarterbacks. Um, you know, Carson Palmer is probably the best recently, but there's still got guys that whatever reason, if you're USC quarterback, you get drafted and you make a team and you're, you're making money and, you know, maybe you get a start every once in a while, but uh, well, I mean, what, what, what Matt Barkley and Matt Barkley had like a seven year career. I yeah. would have thought that, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, once, once he went, fell the fourth round and then he was barely hanging on, I, I thought he had like a two year career written all over him and he just keeps on surviving. Yeah. And, and I think, I think Sanchez, kind of crazy that he got popped for whatever in trouble for uh that yeah i mean he never lived up to being the fifth overall pick but by i mean look i mean he, he's really valued in nfl circles and locker rooms people love him yeah. you know i mean there's something to be said for being just a good locker room guy if you're the backup quarterback 
John Middlecoff. Follow him on Twitter at John Middlecoff. Uh, all over the NFL draft. Really interesting takes. I'm. It's making me want to watch that first day even more to see John what is going to go down because uh, if, if it happens like what you're saying, there's just going to be fireworks. It'll be so much. It'll be really fun. Like I don't remember you know the beginning of a draft like that. It, it, that would be kind of crazy. I don't think I've ever looked forward to the top like 10 picks more in an NFL draft in recent memory. And obviously, you know, we're biased, Rose and Darnold, the West Coast guys, but just, just the drama of the teams, you know, is someone going to trade up? Is one of these guys going to fall to like six or seven? Uh, and, and again, I mean, it, it helps to have quarterbacks involved. It always makes the draft much more intriguing and powerful. But I, I think, I think it's going to be. Yeah, the uh, and and I think the Saquon Barkley thing too because he he was killed at the combine, like you said. I mean, he could be the best pass catcher in the draft, you know, receiver, running back, otherwise, you know, amazing running back. So you got this guy too. Does he jump ahead if if you have a quarterback need because it's so important of a position? It just all it just adds to the drama. Here's the crazy thing: the best player in this draft might be a guard, <laughs> and so. <laughs> So, like, the team that gets Quentin Nelson in, like, the 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, wherever he goes, we may look be like, God, they got a Hall of Famer, like, pick 10, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's, he is re- he's really good. I mean, he just there's no way he's going to fail, but he's a guard. And yeah. I'm, not taking, I'm not taking an interior lineman in the top 10. It's just, it's just not happening. Yeah. He well. is exceptional. I mean, he's a superstar. Yeah, I mean, you guys have seen him. I mean, he just stonewalls people. Yeah, he's been great. Well, John, hey, man, I really appreciate you taking some time. I know it's a, a crazy busy week for you leading up to the draft, but thanks for spending a few minutes with us, and uh, we look forward to watching. You, you made me excited now. I'm definitely, you know, full board, just going to watch the whole thing. Can't wait, baby. Fight All right. on. All right. Thanks so much, John. Take care. See ya. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.